uh, in a few days I'm going to Las Vegas for a week to teach class. It's, a, it's not a vacation. <laughs> Don't want anybody to get the wrong idea. No blackjack. <laughs> What'd you say, Jason? You're not going gambling? No, no, no. It's a work trip. So even though it's February in, in uh, Wisconsin and Illinois, I'm not going to Las Vegas for vacation. Uh, it's, and I'll be teaching and talking to different groups there. And uh, one, we added a half-day meditation retreat at a place that I've gone to before, and someone asked that I talk about mental skillfulness. I said, sure. And then, <laughs> and then afterwards I started thinking, oh, what is mental skillfulness? What, you know, what, what, do I have to, what do I have to study and learn about because mental skillfulness is not, doesn't just come naturally to me. So I checked with one of my oracles. I, I talked to David about it a little bit. And I, and I usually talk to the monks too, but they're busy. So, um, and, he, and what he and I talked about confirmed what I had been thinking about it. And, and that is that mental skillfulness is, is what we do every time we sit down to practice. When we develop mindfulness, we are developing all the mental skillfulness that we need in this world. So it's not about uh, going and becoming a scholar and learning a lot of uh, words or terms or suttas or, you know, it's not about uh, knowing a lot of stuff. It's about applying everything that we do when we practice, our sitting practice. It's when we apply it in our daily life and in our relationships with people and our relationship to the world. So mental skillfulness is nothing more than truly developing mindfulness, which is paying attention to what's right in front of us. But part of what I think is really important in our practice and a, and a part that's very easy for us to lose touch with, although we talk about it all the time, is uh, where does, what, are the, what are the ways we start really developing that uh, mindfulness so we aren't caught off guard all the time and think, oh, if only I had done or if only I hadn't said, you know, a lot of times our mindfulness seems to kick in after the fact. So it's, even if it's 30 seconds after the fact, that's a bad 30 seconds where we have, it's very hard to undo what we may have done or said. So I think when we are talking about developing mental skillfulness, we've got to start literally at the bottom, literally from our feet on up. I think that's when we have to really uh, remember that we're always working with our body. And like Bhante Sumana talked about in the meditation, you know, our, our body and our mind are so connected. And our body is, our mind is picking up stuff from our body, our body's picking up stuff from our mind. Those, we can't separate those. And, uh, and I know some of you are athletes and are very in touch with your physical body. Some of us are not, and so, you know, it's like a kind of a, a, a different process. But even if you're an athlete and very connected to your physical body or a dancer and connected to movement, you may not be uh, listening to that body. 
<clears throat> you know, you might be pushing it. You might be uh, determined to be in control of it. So you may not be really paying the kind of mindful attention to your body that I'm talking about. So I think it's something that we all have to really look at because I think what, we're, what, our, what our intention is to reach that point with our mindfulness that we can catch ourselves becoming uh, not mindful. We can catch that before it comes up. So we aren't dealing with, oh, I should have said, I should have done. What the, and what the Buddha taught was that we, be, you know, we began with, we say something and then we look at it. But then we work our way back. So then we start, we may have the thought, we may have the physical feeling, and we may start to say something or do something and we catch ourselves. And then we may get to where we can feel something and maybe catch it before it comes out, before it becomes an action or something we say. And eventually, and the Buddha taught that this is possible in this lifetime, eventually we get to where whatever that strong uh, feeling or emotion is, that we, that we don't have to let it rise up in us. You know, that we can actually, that, we're, that we will keep it from even moving up. And then we can reach that point where those those uh, angry emotions, those painful emotions, those things that stir in us, we can reach the point with our practice that we don't even experience those anymore. So we're not dealing with, okay, what do I do? Here it comes, here it comes. You know, we can get to the point where, where and this we can debate about a lot, I know, but we, I do believe it's possible to get to the point where we are not angry that we can actually encounter a situation that maybe would have made us angry for years when we were younger. And we can actually kind of root that out, root that anger out through our practice. And so then we're, then we're, we're pretty clean, you know, we don't have to, we have a lot of mental skillfulness because we've rooted something out of us. So, and that's not from reading books. So, how do we do that? We're developing that relationship with our body, I believe, is so important. And so when we begin the meditation and talk about scanning, scanning through your body, and when you work with the four foundations of mindfulness and you do the body scanning, we're, what we're doing, even when we just take a few minutes to do it, we're really learning well, how do we feel? And where do we feel it? And do we feel good? Does it feel bad? And in the, the Buddha's language, it was, is it a pleasurable feeling? Or is it unpleasurable? Or is it neutral? And if we have a neutral feeling, that may be because we, it's, it may be ignorance. It may be because we don't know what we're feeling. So it, may, it can just be neutral because things are okay, but it could be neutral because we are so not in touch with that layer of feeling in us that, we, that we're, we're dulled to it. We don't, we don't know. And um, a lot of times, especially when they were teenagers, but even as young adults, uh, 
I hate to say this, but more with boys than with girls. You know, the typical response to anything you ask them is, I don't know. What do you want to eat? I don't know. What do you feel like? I don't know. Uh, what are you going to do when you grow up? I don't know. And, and I really think that sometimes that is really from that, a place of just, uh, it's just, it's neutral because it may just be, it, it's either ignorance or it's just a deadening of something. You know, it's something that's been, maybe it came up as something very painful at some point. And to make it not be so painful, it's just that stuff down, I don't feel anything, I don't care, doesn't matter to me. And it's, uh, it, it feels neutral, but in fact it's, it's because it's just something that's been buried. So when we scan through our bodies, what we're doing is looking for all of that. We're, we're, just, we're not trying to uh, fix it or compare it to anything else or judge it. But we're really trying to see, do I even know how I feel physically? Do I even know, like I think my shoulders hurt? But maybe it's because I've said that for so many years, oh yeah, my shoulders hurt. I don't know if the pain is right or left or if it's down lower in my back, if it's up in my neck. It just may be something I carry, it's almost a label I carry with me. Oh yeah, I'm at the computer all day, my shoulders hurt. Or, yeah, I have a headache, I always have a headache, or uh, it's probably this or probably that. So we label it really quickly and say what we think it might be or why we have it, and then we, then we lose the feeling again. It's, oh yeah, I always get that, or oh yeah, whenever I eat ice cream, I always get that feeling. And so we go ahead and eat it, we all go ahead and have that feeling, but we've dismissed it because we've kind of... Uh, put it away because we've labeled it or we've uh, we think we've identified what it is but what we really need to be doing is really really it comes back to us about ourselves the same way we begin our loving-kindness practice focused on ourself we need to start really experiencing our body and how we feel and try to be more specific and whether it's an old familiar pain and so we think we don't have to look at it or whether it's something a new fresh cut on our hand if we start just becoming more and more aware of our physical body and where we're feeling things and as we sit in our practice we have a really good chance to notice when we're sitting still what kind of physical feelings arise and what, what might be going on with that? Maybe that physical feeling is coming up to make us be restless so we don't have to sit with ourselves. If we were sitting and watching TV or a really good movie, we'd probably sit for an hour and a half and maybe not move at all except to reach for the popcorn. <laughs> so, we may be not we may be totally unaware of any discomfort because we're really engaged in the story you know with everything on the screen but suddenly if we sit down to be with ourselves with no distraction we will notice all kinds of itches and pains and things that arise in our body that make us think i have to deal with this right now i have to shift or i'm going to be in so much pain 
or something's going to go to sleep, it's going to get numb, then I can't stand up, then I'm going to, you know, trip when I stand up. We do these, we can do wonderful things, make stories out of how our body feels, and then that can just be so we don't have to be with ourselves. So, our practice on the cushion or on the chair when we're just sitting with ourselves without any distractions is a good way to see what our body can do to uh, distract us. I don't have a movie to watch, so man, I'm going to discover a lower back pain that makes me just scream in agony and I have to get up. Um, and for me, when I first began meditation, I would uh, get sleepy. So drowsiness, oh, I spent a couple of years dealing with drowsiness, so I don't think anything ever got clear up here. I just, you know, worked with sleepiness all the time. And I just couldn't understand people who could just sit and stay awake. So that was, uh, that, that was carrying me through lots of time that I didn't want to sit with myself. And it was very effective. <laughs> so, if you, if you don't want to deal with something, be sleepy. And, and of course, I had young children at the same time, so I knew I could say, well, I'm probably tired because, you know, I have, I have, I'm tired because I don't get enough sleep. But I think it was just, I think it was uh, the way my body wanted me not to be there and wanted me to be, you know, going to the store or shopping or cleaning house. So, what our, what our body's going to been, begin telling us, and our body's been telling us this for, for our whole life, but we, we've learned very early on to not listen to our bodies. Uh, what our body's going to start telling us is where, where those emotions that usually take over, where they're seated in us. And so that our body can tell us, okay, yeah, there's something there's something going on here. It comes up a lot. Maybe it comes up a lot when I get uh, tired or when I get frustrated or when I uh, when I find myself becoming irritable mentally, if I can backtrack it to my physical body, I might discover, oh, I'm irritable because I am sleepy because I only got two hours of sleep last night. Or I'm feeling irritable because I want to be doing something else and I'm stuck here and I can't get away from the situation I'm in. You know, I'm at work and I want to do something else. Or you might find yourself in a situation where often you're perfectly okay, but if you suddenly decide you're, you're real antsy and irritable, uh, it, it may not be the person you're with or the situation you're in at all. Most likely, it's something else going on with you. So that physical uh, irritability, 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 I'm not saying that right, that physical irritation is something that's going on, the, the mental irritation could be something going on that you need to connect in your body, and it may be finding out what, what else is, what else is getting out of shape? It's not, what else is out of alignment? It's not that I'm sitting here talking to this person and this person is making me feel irritable. But it is that I'm sitting here talking to this person and my mind is really somewhere else. Or I'm thinking about a deadline I have, another appointment I have, 
And so that irritation is not even, doesn't have anything to do with, with what's going on in the present moment. So, but if we don't know when we're irritable, if we don't even recognize that feeling in us, that restless feeling, uh, uh, all of us, I'm sure, we know what irritable is to us and it has different physical symptoms, right? If we aren't even paying attention to that, we, it's very easy then to think, this person irritates me. You know, whatever this person's saying or doing, that irritates me. And, and most of you may have moved way beyond that, but you know you've heard a million times coming out of your own mouth or someone else's, that person really makes me mad. I can't help it. Whenever I'm with that person, I get mad. I don't like their politics. I don't like their, you know, it's, we, we still have that tendency to want to blame someone else for our emotional states. And for uh, mental skillfulness develop, to develop, we have to let go of that. There is no mental skillfulness when we're uh, putting blame on anyone else or anything else for what's going on with us. For the anger or for any other disturbing emotions, anything that you think of that you can experience that you consider a disturbing emotion, Mental skillfulness will never come to us as long as we try to project that out on something else. It could be even, it can't even be projected out onto a political figure who you really disagree with. I don't care what you say. We have to, that's the stuff that we have to let go of before we can truly develop mental skillfulness. So, we, we begin that process of mental skillfulness by understanding what's going on in our own physical body and understanding where we hold, where we hold emotions, <clears throat> where we hold old pain, where we hold old memories. They're just like scars on our body. When I was, uh, a, well, I was a Girl Scout forever, but when I was a, uh, like a young teenager, I cut my on a Girl Scout trip, I cut my finger really deeply and should have had stitches, but I was, you know, at camp, so I just put a Band-Aid on it. So I still have that scar, and in, in rainy or cold weather, it always hurts. So that's, that, that was 50 years ago that that happened, but still, my finger can tell me, you know, certain weather conditions. <laughs> So that scar will never, that scar, I don't even notice it a lot, but I feel it and I always automatically know, you know, how the scar came to be. And we all have every, everything that's ever happened to us, it's been a loss, it's been a sadness, it's been a joy, it's all somewhere in our physical body just like our scars are. And certain things, like cold weather will trigger pain in my finger certain things are always going to be able to trigger those emotional scars that we have. So, what we have to do to develop that mental skillfulness, that mindfulness, we have to really honor and respect those scars. But then we have to understand, you know, I'm not a, a wizard because my finger hurts when it's gonna be cold weather. I have a scar from a knife cutting deeply into my hand and not being treated properly. So we have to really have respect for those um, emotional scars in us, but we have, to, we have to sometimes go in and rediscover those or re-experience those 
to get to that point where we can root it out. And it's literally like we get to the point where we can literally pull that stuff out, like the root of a plant, getting it all away so it doesn't come back. And then we can set it aside. Then, then mental skillfulness is much easier because as we practice mindfulness, we're not always having to go back and re-experience, you know, seeing that weed come up again from the root that we didn't pull up. So, I think the thing that we have to work on is looking at our physical body a lot more than we do. Not just to get it in shape or to keep it going so we live to be a hundred. We have to just sit and look at our weak, pale, you know, flaccid, uh, dumpy, whatever bodies with great compassion and respect. <laughs> and what we need to look at beyond, I need to, you know, I need to lose 15 pounds, I need to get, you know, mu uh, muscles or a six pack. We need to look at it like, I, I need to look with great self-compassion and great love at this body and see what it's telling me. You know, go back and reconnect with it. Don't wait until it's perfect. Don't think it's too late. We have to just reconnect with and find out where our scars are and where, uh, you know, where all that other stuff is that's trying to speak to us. When it speaks to us, then we can understand much more what's causing our emotions to come up, what's causing us to do what we do, and it, and it gives us a lot more uh, ability not to erupt into a deep, disruptive emotional outburst or to uh, move into depression. And all of this, all of our physical body is speaking to us. But I have to say before I stop very quickly, um, mental skillfulness, if, if you look around the room at, the, at all this incredible artwork and the beautiful Tibetan images, and how colorful that altar is. It's just Tibetan stuff is so much fun because it's just so bright and colorful. But it's also so symbolic. So I think mental skillfulness is also uh, we can develop by looking at these images and looking at the symbolism in them. I mean, that's, they're all uh, painted and they're all illustrated for uh, lessons. There's all, kind, there's all kinds of Dhamma in every one of the paintings. And so mental skillfulness is also looking very mindfully at these images and seeing what's in there, seeing what teachings are in there. The same way the stained glass window, these are, they're beautiful images, but they're teachings. And so everything we look at, so please look at the art, and please look at all the, the Tibetan images, but everything we look at, another person's face, a, a child, you know, someone that we pass on the street who's uh, obviously has nothing and would like you to help them, every, everything we see is Dhamma, is truth for us. As long as we're not, as long as we're clear, and we're not just projecting our stuff, Everything we look at can be pure Dhamma. It'll still be pure Dhamma if we're projecting our stuff. 
but it, it takes us, you know, we're trying to get through our stuff and see the pure teaching, the pure truth. So start looking at everything that you encounter in your life as there's Dhamma here, there's truth in this, whatever that encounter is. And every time you do that, we're develop, you're developing mental skillfulness. So thank you.